All right. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, and you can turn to Luke chapter 11, because uh, we're going to be now, just we've been walking through what, what prayer is, trying to get a, a biblical picture of prayer, and it, it, it's funny now that we're doing this. I, every time I, I hear people talk about prayer or whatever, I do a lot of in my head of, well, actually, you know, that, but I don't say it out loud, so that's the self-control uh, going on. We've, we've been looking at, so what does the Bible actually tell us about uh, about prayer, you know, technically when, when you see the word pray in the Bible and you're seeing people pray, uh, what is that? Well, prayer specifically and technically is is asking God to do something. Our praying is our request. It is it is to to ask God for something. It is a it is one of the greatest blessings that God can give to his people. Uh, it is a blessing though that comes with problems. We looked at hindrances to prayer, uh, abundance, doubt, disobedience. We looked at all the ways that you're not supposed to pray. Remember, that's how Jesus started out in Matthew 6 was when he first started teaching them about prayer was teaching them how not to do it. And so we saw the danger of praying with our, with our mind on others, uh, trying to impress people with our prayers. We saw the danger of of having a distorted sort of manipulative view of God. So we give these long prayers, either trying to impress God or sometimes trying to impress others. Um, then we saw the, the danger in James chapter 1 of, of doubting prayers, the danger in James chapter 4 of worldward prayers, uh, asking things that because you want to spend it on your passions. So worldward rather than Godward. Uh, and then we saw the danger of sin-stained prayers of, of if, if seeing iniquity uh, and yet uh, not doing anything about it. not not seeking confession forgiveness uh, but seeing it ignoring it and yet wanting God to hear to hear us uh, and so those are the dangers those were the the ways how not to pray but now we've looked at how should we pray so that's what we've we've been looking at now what should we be doing and and we begin by what should we be praying for what is the what is the content of of biblical prayer when when we ask god if prayer is asking god well what should we be asking him for you know if the bible says if we ask anything according to his will he hears us well then the question is well what is his will for us to ask what sort of things does he want us to be asking for and so to answer that question uh, we looked at the Lord's answer to that question because the Lord shows us what sort of things we should be asking for uh, and the things that God answers. And he shows us this in the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is a pattern for our prayer. It's teaching us the type of things that we should be asking for. It is an asking guide. If you've ever been like, well, what sort of things should I ask God? I mean, the Lord's Prayer is an asking guide that, that no matter the, we saw this, no matter the level of disciple that you are, whether you're, you know, just one of the crowds that's there on the mountain because this guy's doing crazy things and you just happen to be there, this is the prayer for you. Or if you're, you've been with Jesus for years and everyone else has left him, but you haven't, this is the prayer for you. The Lord's Prayer is given to all of his disciples for all time. If you belong to the Lord, this prayer uh, belongs to you. It's meant to be a pattern for your prayer life. It is specific. It is universal. It is instructional. It is a model for our prayer, and it ultimately points us to uh, to the Lord. So that was sort of the... The, the last couple of weeks have been sort of a wide-angle view 
what, what should we think when we see the Lord's Prayer? Why is the Lord's Prayer here? What should we be thinking about it? Is this just a kid's prayer? Is just some, this something that you learn to sort of get your foot in the prayer door and then your, your mind is open to all these other spirit-led prayers? Uh, what do you do with, with the Lord's Prayer? Uh, and so that's what we, we looked at that. Now, now we're getting to the actual content. Now we slow down. And you're like, now we're slowing down? Uh, because you start getting into the content. This is why I said this is such an, this is, this is the universality of the Lord's Prayer. You look at it, it's fairly simple, right? Everything that the Lord is telling us to ask for, we go, okay, I get that, I get that. But when you slow down and look at it, I mean, it is a deep, Thick. And you're going to think I'm going slow, but I've read Puritans that have books this thick uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm actually going, they'd be here going, man, this guy's going fast. Uh, he's only going to spend a couple weeks on the idea of father. I mean, come on. Uh, so so th- th- this is a really rich prayer. And if it is such a model prayer, and if it is useful for us, whether you're new to praying and just wanting to start praying more, or you, you've, you've been praying for a while and you just want to make sure that the things you've been asking God are what you should be asking God, this, this as we walk through this Lord's Prayer, we're going to see this is exactly what we need, uh, and we're going to dig, dig deep into it, not, not too deep, but deep enough uh, to where we hopefully will walk away just richly blessed by this prayer that, if, like I said last week, if you're anything like me, you thought you learned it when you were a little kid, and then you would just kind of even skim it. I remember when I would read this part in Matthew, I would kind of skim through the Lord's Prayer because I knew it. Uh, and so I knew, okay, okay, yeah, the Lord's Prayer, okay, I know it, I know it. And get to, the, get to the next part, it's like, like this, is, this is a deep, rich uh, Word of God. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word. We'll read both the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and the Lord's Prayer in Luke. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, and Luke chapter 11. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke 11. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, we know you have given us these prayers for a purpose. And it is to instruct us. It is to lead us. It is to guide us. And it is to teach us to pray to you and to pray to you rightly. So God, our prayer today is just that that these words would achieve the thing that you've sent them to do. And the great thing is, Father, we know that you've already promised that's exactly what these words will do today. I pray you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would make the battle against sin and the battle for obedience be over quickly in any of us. And that today we would just marvel that you are our Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so Jesus uh, says, uh, when... uh, Pray then like this, uh, or in Luke 11, when you pray, say, uh, and then that's what we're looking at. What does he say that we should 
say? Uh, what, what does he say in these prayers? What are these prayers, these words that of all the words, and Christ knew all the words, uh, all the words that Christ could have, could have chosen, why these? Why? I mean, of all, I mean, he could have said, when you pray, and then given us the book of Romans, right? Uh, he could have laid out so much. And why is he giving us this short, terse? Like I said, it can, it can be said in less than 10 seconds. And, and yet that be our model prayer. What, is, what, are, what are we supposed to be asking of God? What are these requests asking? And how can we get them into our own prayer life? And both prayers begin not with a petition, not with the asking, although it's then going to follow with asking the rest of the way through, the prayers begin with to whom we are praying. Uh, the, the prayers begin with the person that we're talking to or the address in prayer. So the, this is the opening uh, of our prayers and they both begin the same, both in Matthew 6 uh, and in Luke 11. Matthew 6, our Father who is in heaven. Luke 11, just simply Father. And that's where we're going to focus today on the idea of God as father. God as primarily father. That's it. We're going to look at God as father this week. We'll see what kind of what kind of father he is next week. We'll see that he is our father. But we're going to see that he is our father in heaven, filling out that Matthew 6 passage. But today, this week, let's just look at the idea of God as father and what that means to us and what that's going to mean for us. What can we learn? Because both prayers, both prayers begin calling God Father. That's the first word in both of these prayers. Father, Father, both of them. Uh, We put our in the English, but both, it's like Father of us who is in heaven. If you're just going to be literal in the Greek in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, just simply Father. Both of these prayers begin with this word, Father. So that's what, if, we, if, the, if that's what we're going to focus on, that's how the scripture begins. What does that mean? What can we learn from that word and from God choosing that word to begin our prayers? What does it mean that Jesus tells us to address God as father in our prayers? Well, first off, the idea of God as father is not a new idea. The idea of God as father throughout the Old Testament, uh, God had told the people of Israel that he was their father. So, I mean, most famously is probably in Exodus chapter four. Uh, Exodus chapter four, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So we, we often think of, of Moses, you know, and say, let my people go. But here in this last warning to Pharaoh, it's just very dramatic. God says, I don't know if you realize this isn't just my people. Israel is my son. Let my son go. It's a great dramatic. God is, I am their father. They are my child. Hosea 11, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's, of course, going to be picked back up in the Gospels uh, when Jesus flees uh, to Egypt. So God has said in the Old Testament, look, Israel is my child. They are my firstborn son. This is all foreshadowing. This is going to get 
Zach and I excited about talking about Christ in the, uh, in the Old Testament all the way through and how who's the true Israel? Christ is the Israel of God and he's the true son of God. Anyway, all that stuff. But, but the people of God, not only did God say this, the, the people of Israel recognized this truth. So, for example, in Isaiah 63, 16, it says, For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. The the nation of Israel recognized that God was their father. And so by the time you get to the New Testament, the Jews actually almost have a problem assuming that they're all children of God. That's actually going to get them in a little bit of trouble. But it it at least shows that they understood the idea. So you get to like John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, well, well, this is the weird part. This one's gonna, they're seemingly questioning Jesus' parentage. They proclaim with certainty their own. And what are they certain of? That God is their father. So in John chapter 8, verse 41, we were not born of sexual immorality. Nice little underhanded jab there at Jesus and the whole Joseph and Holy Spirit question. We have one father, even God. So the people of God recognize it. Now, this is going to become interesting. I'm going to point this out next week, maybe too. Uh, But throughout the Old Testament, it's not, even though though the, the, the nation of Israel recognized this, you have no time in scripture where, uh, well, we're going to talk about it next week. That's going to be really good next week. Oh, man. I can't wait to tell you. I'm the guy starting to get ahead of myself and tell you, but I, I won't. Something really interesting next week. Uh, but, okay, so, but God as Father is, is something that we know from Scripture, something already clear. So, what does it mean that God is Father? If God is Father, then, then what are the implications? If God is Father, and we're supposed to address Him as Father, then what does that mean for how we understand God? And what does that mean for how we understand our relationship with him? So when you say, and again, the reason I say this is because if you're anything like me, father is probably the quickest thing that comes out of your mouth in your prayer and probably the thing you think the least about. Uh, I am often convicted or at least forced to think about, I have a fairly rote way that I address God and that's fine. Nothing wrong with addressing God the same way. He doesn't say, Uh, start your prayers uh, different ways and then get into the Lord's prayer. He's like, you can start out saying our father who is, there's nothing wrong with that, but we never want to be mindless in our actions, right? So, so I I often uh, I'll say, dear heavenly father, that's just the way I address the Lord. Uh, It's sort of uh, uh, complimentary to, to the Lord's prayer. And yet sometimes I don't think about what that means that God is father so what is it what does it mean that god is father and what can we learn if god is father so we've got a few things if god is father then this is an implication of that the first thing that we can learn is if god is father then that means that god is relational and that might seem unimportant but for some god in this world is depicted as this impersonal force that is just sort of out there uh, you hear things like, oh, God is in everything, or God is in everyone, or God is everything. But God is not a thing. God is not just whatever is up there. God is personal. In other words, God is not an it. 
And so if we're going to have a right understanding of God, then we must have a right relationship with him. We must relate to him the right way. Specifically, we must recognize that God is not just God. He is Father. That any other relationship we have with God that we think, oh, I'm not going to have a relationship with him as Father. I'm going to have a relationship with him like this. That's a perverted relationship because God says, this is who I am. I am Father. You relate to me. I'm not just up here for you to observe. You have to be in right relationship with me. And that right relationship is recognizing that I am Father. And we know this. It's not just about, it's not just about recognizing that God exists, right? That's what, this is why it's important to know that God is Father. Because there'll be people who will say, oh, God exists. I believe in God, right? I believe, I am a person of faith or whatever, people believe that God exists, but it's not just that. It's also in how you relate to God as father. We see this, that's James's point, right? In James chapter two, verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one. Okay, you believe there is a God. You believe that God is one. There's only one God, that force up there, whatever. He says, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, so believing in God, being a person of faith is not some grand feat of religiosity. It's not some sign of great spiritual, spiritual growth. I mean, even the demons are people of faith. Even the demons believe in God and believe in the fact that there's only one God. And not only do they believe it, it affects them more than it affects a lot of us. It affects them emotionally. They believe it and it so affects them that what do they do? They shudder. They believe it. So, so demons have not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, right? You ever heard that? You got to get it from hand to heart. Uh, so the demons believe there's one God and really believe it so that it causes them to shudder. We know that the, demon, the demons even know that Jesus is the Christ, right? You read through the gospels and the demons are like, what are you going to do with this son of man? You know, what are you going to, oh, please don't cast us out into utter darkness. I mean, they recognize who Jesus is. What are you going to do? Holy one of God. So, I mean, the idea that just believing in something is what's important here. The fact that God is Father teaches us that we must, that God is relatable and that we must have a right relationship with him. We must have a relationship with God, but it must be a right relationship. We must understand God as Father. So if if God is Father, then he is relatable, but he's specifically relatable in the way he chooses as, as Father. If God is father or if God tells us to call him father, then that teaches us that God is the one who chooses how we relate to him. In other words, we relate to God on his terms, not ours. You and I, again, don't get to choose how we think about God or how we feel about God or who God is to us and if you ever hear someone say this is who God is to me then you need to be very careful because it doesn't matter who God is to them what matters is who God is and God actually tells us who he is we don't get to decide what we want to think about him I mean so so, I mean this is a I don't if you read enough random weird books as I was forced to do at times you get you see these ideas of of people saying well I don't want to call God his father because I you know I'm sort of almost triggered by the idea of father or uh, I really, I, I, you know, father's nice, but 
I didn't have a great father growing up, so calling him father just, uh, just doesn't rub me right. Or you'll get people that say, hey, I really like the idea of thinking of God as mother. You know, just really, I mean, because he's caring. Uh, and he, and go, and you don't get to do that. You don't get to just say, I don't like father, so I'm not going to think of him as father. And you don't get to say, I really like my mom. Uh, and you can tell because I'm still living in her basement. Uh, you know, you don't get to do that and say, so I'm going to call him, I'm going to call it mother. And you'll see this all the time, like when people want to be, I don't know what they're trying to be, when they pray. This is especially in public prayers where they just randomly choose people to pray. They want a person of faith to pray. And there's always going to be someone in probably some rainbow shawl uh, that's going to pray to our great mother. Someone did it just a couple years ago, didn't they? Just not too long ago. Uh, These things, because they feel like they can relate to God however they choose. But God comes to us and says, call me father. Call me father. When you pray, say father. Not even when you pray, say God. Now, the reason I say this, and again, I said I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. You have to realize that up until this point in scripture, even though God is referred to as father over and over in the Old Testament, you have no prayer from any Israelite where they called him father personally by name, where they said father in their prayers. And what's interesting is in every prayer of Jesus, except for one, he addresses him as father. Every single one. You have any prayer. In fact, someone did a a history of Jewish writings. You don't have a, a, you don't have a prayer of a Jewish person calling God father in their prayers until the 10th century AD. So this idea of call me father of Jesus saying, God says, use when you pray, say Father, this would have been a prayer that these Jews, this would have been an introduction to their prayer, a lead, an address to God that they had probably never done before. At least we have no records of any Jew ever doing, of saying, Father, at the start of their prayer. We're going to talk more about why that's so shocking. But realize when God says, call me Father, he's, he's making a point. This isn't just how the Jews always talk to God. This isn't just how they always related to God. He is saying, this is what you call him. You say, Father. And so that's why, I mean, just when people ask me uh, and will, if you want to ask more about this, you know, when people say, can I, can I pray to Jesus? Uh, I go, well, no, it's probably not a great idea. Can you, can you talk to Jesus? Yes, that would, that's, that's fine. Can you, could you say, hey, you know, man, I'm really thankful for you, Jesus. Or yeah, could you, could you talk to the Holy Spirit? Yes, but in terms of prayer, the examples we have, in, uh, so again, uh, the examples in scripture are praying to God. We, we don't have any examples of anybody really praying to Jesus uh, anywhere in the text. So again, uh, if someone were to say, is that okay? I'd say, nah, I don't know that's okay. I don't know why, why you think you need to. Uh, but the, again, so when we go to ask, who do we ask? When we go to pray, to whom do we pray? He says, Father, Father. And why is that important? Why is it important to be bound by the text instead of bound by, well, surely I can ask Jesus to do things uh, or surely I can pray to the Holy Spirit or surely I can, what are people, this is, this is that, slippery wicket because if you can pray that who else can you pray to well surely i can talk to mary surely i can pray to mary and ask her to do this surely i can pray to the saints who are also up there under the throne of god and 
Uh, again, this, is, this goes back to the understanding that, the, uh, that prayer is not just talking to someone, but prayer is asking God to do something. If you're going to ask, to whom do you ask? The Bible's example and instruction is always the Father. You go to the Father. You talk to Jesus all you want to. The thing is, if you ask Jesus, who's Jesus going to take it to? The Father. And when you pray to the Father, who's the one already interceding on your behalf to the Father anyway? Jesus. So it, it just becomes, I just go, well, why do you think you need to? And then we can flesh out maybe a, a, a bad understanding of, of, of other things. But we're, in, we're taught here, we're not free to call God anything that we want to. We have, we have to come to God the way he says. And God says, you come to me as father, not as heavenly mother, not as great being in the sky even. You come to me as father. It's important for us to remember that God is the one who chooses how we relate to him not, not the other way around. We always relate to God on his terms, not our terms. So in this relationship, you don't just get to mold God into what you want him to be. I don't like you being father. I want you to be this. God comes to us and says, this is who I am to you. You call me father. Uh, another thing we can learn if God is father, uh, then God is the ultimate, as Father, He is the ultimate source, right? You get the idea of, of Father, God is the ultimate source of all good, uh, all good in this world and all good in our lives. As Father, this is recognizing you are my provider, in a sense, of, of everything. So the Bible tells us, using the word Father, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 that God is the Father of lights. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So that James 1.17 can say that, that God is the Father of all good and perfect things in our lives. Every good and perfect thing, uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So if God is Father, then God is the source of every good, the source of light itself, of mercy, of, of, uh, of all comfort, and that God never changes. So uh, just a, a brief understanding of God as Father means that he is the one who's going to provide every good to you. So when you say Father, there is this recognition of him as provider. That when you say Father, you're, and think about how important that is for what we're about to do. If we're about to ask for things in our prayers, it is good to know that we're going to the one who gives us all the good things. It is good to know that we're going to the one who is the source of all good in our lives. So we're about to ask and we're going to the one who's given us every good thing. We go to the one who is the father of lights, who is the God of, uh, father of all mercies and God of all comfort. It is good to know that every good and every perfect gift is going to come from him. In other words, we say father and we go to him as father because this is the only one who can answer our prayers. He is the source of all good. He's the only one we could turn to. God, God, if God is father, then this is the only person we can expect to be able to do anything with our requests. So we go to God, God who is father. If God is father, then we're reminded that God creates us. We don't create him. 
there is a, there is a humility in recognizing that God exists outside of and, and above our opinions of him and above our thoughts of what he should be like. When we say God is father, we are reminded that God crafts us. We don't craft him. This is actually the point that Paul makes in Acts chapter 17 at the Areopagus. Acts chapter 17. Go ahead and turn there because we'll, we'll look there. Uh, we'll walk through that whole narrative starting in verse 22. And it said, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So you got Acts 17, you've got all these, 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 you know, you've got all these people of faith, right? They're all religious and they're very, they're very religious. They're all worshiping. Uh, they're so religious. They're worshiping all sorts of things, Right. Uh, they don't have the spirit of religion. They've got spirits of religion. Uh, they've got whatever it is, we're taking it in. It's like the ultimate smorgasbord of worship here. I'm so worshipy. I, I just love all faiths. They, this would be, the Areopagus would have one of those big coexist stickers smacked on top of it uh, with all the random uh, stuff on it. That's what they would have. Uh, they're even, they're even worshiping, so they would have coexist and then question mark at the end uh, because they're even worshiping the unknown God. They're like, these guys and this one, we don't even, we don't even know. But God says here, or, or, or Paul tells them that God doesn't need us and he doesn't need our, our crafts, right? He doesn't, God doesn't need our buildings, he says. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't need our gifts, He's the one in control. He's the one who determines our lives. Notice he says, he even determined, this is when we do history, we talk about this because it says God determines both the periods and boundaries of people's dwelling places. So when people are like, so what happened to the nation of, of Assyria? I said, well, God just decided that was the end of their period. Uh, and this was the smashing of their dwelling place. So that the, ultimately God is in control, not just of you individually, he's in control of what people are where and for how long. That's what he does. That's how in control he is of the, of the entire world. Uh, and so he doesn't, he doesn't need us. He's the one determining our lives. He is the one, Paul says, who made us. And so he addresses that idea of God 
as, as father of all of us, right? He says, you guys recognize, even your poets, he says, this is verse 28, even your poets recognize we're all indeed his offspring. And he says, yeah, okay, so in that sense, yes, God is the father of us all. But if, but if he is our father, what does he say we should do? We need to respond the right way. We need to quit thinking, Paul says, that God is an image that we form, something he, he says from our own imagination. We need to quit thinking that we make God in our image. He is the one who's made us in his image. And how does Paul say the chief way you view God as father, the chief way you do that, what would you do, people at the Areopagus, is to repent. Because our father has spoken and he has told us he's going to judge uh, the world by what we do, not by the number of gods that we worship, but by what we do with one man. So you've got to understand uh, the, the, he's moved from all these multiple things in the question marks. He says, it's not about any of this and what you do with any of these. It's all about what you do with Christ. That's what you're going to be judged by. It's not going to matter how many idols you have. It's not going to matter how peaceable you were and all these other things. What matters is what you do uh, with Christ. So all of that is to teach them, if God is Father, then, then there is a sense of humility that, that we are not in charge of who God is. We don't get to think of God like all the other pagans do. We can't think of God like he says, uh, like this is verse 29, being gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. You don't get to decide what God is like. If God is father and you are his offspring, not the other way around. When we try to make God the way we want, we're treating God as if he is our offspring. And in many ways, what you've created is a God of your own imagination. It is just like the gods of the, of the Athenians. It's just not real or at least not really God. It might be real in a demonic sense, uh, but it's not a real, it's not the real God. When we say God is father, we're recognizing that we come from him. He doesn't come from us. So there's a humility that, 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 that has to say, God, you, you are, and you are the way you are. You are the father. I don't control who you are. I don't get to determine who you are and what you're like. I remember times uh, in, in, in dorms. This was the year, the year before I met Zach, everything. So this is B, this is BZ. Uh, BZ. It was a dark, it was a dark age. And then there was an age where I just knew Clint and that was a whole different level of dark. And then finally I met Zach. Uh, but, but it, people would come to my, because I was the token, I was the, I was the token Calvinist at the dorms. I was the token reform guy at the dorms and people would come and we'd have, and, and you know, you get, you get enough kids at college that are learning all these theological questions, but not knowing enough Bible to really be able to address them. But that doesn't stop any of them from talking about those theological questions. Uh, so people would come to my dorm uh, and, and they'd want to get in a discussion with me. Uh, and they'd discuss normally particular things, particular being a very punny word. Uh, we'd discuss particular things, and, they, and, and I remember one discussion I had with someone. I was just walking him through the text of Scripture, really just dragging him. I was dragging him through the text uh, and kind of body slamming him into some of it anyway. Uh, but I remember him saying to me, after we looked at all those Scripture, and I said, well, that's, that's just what the Bible says. And he said, well, if that's who God is, I just can't worship him. 
And and I and one, I was like, I told him, I said, did you just say that? But that's that's the idea. If you think that that you get to determine what God is like, then you're no different than and we do this. We do, and I was so thankful that God did this for me when I was walking through some spiritual questions and trying to figure out who God is. And I saw things in the text. And I remember thinking, I don't want God to be like that. I don't like, I don't like that. And then God convicting me. Wait, you see it in the text, but you don't want to see it? Who's God here? And the same thing happens in our lives. You think I would never do this. I'd never craft God in my own image. Well, when your father tells you this is how my children live and you don't do it, it is as if you were saying that's not what my father would tell me to do. If you can see things in scripture and say, well, I know God says I should do this with this or treat my wife this way or treat my kids this way and you don't, then you are setting it up as if you are father and you get to craft God any way that you want to. And if that's the case, then don't act like the God of scripture is your father. Don't act like the one you're worshiping is the God of the text. You're no different than the Athenians. You're you're crafting God how you want. And so when we say father, it is a helpful humiliation that begins every one of our prayers. It reminds us you're in control of me. You created me, not the other way around. And so the things that come off my lips and the things that fill my heart about you had better be the way you say you are rather than the way I say you are. And if there's anything I say about you that is not what you have said about yourself, then God, kill it, right? Destroy it, smash that idol because I want to see you father the work that you are, not the work of man or his imagination. So if God is father of us, then we don't get to choose what God is like. We don't get to create him how we want. It's just the way that he is. And saying God is father can help us uh, remember that. Uh, If God is father, the next thing, then this is useful today. And we're gonna see it's not just useful today. If God is father, then being a father is an honored position, not a toxic one. Uh, God calling himself father is, I mean, we just have to be honest, is an honor to all fathers. It is, it is placing great honor on the idea of fatherhood itself. Our world likes to talk about things like toxic masculinity and hate all things patriarchal, uh, but scripture does, is not of that same bent. Because God tying his identity to fathers means that father is a noble calling. Fathers are not the problem. Now, ungodly fathers might be, The world wants us to view fathers as more of a problem than a help, but God commands us to call him father. If father were automatically a toxic thing that we really want to do away with and just have parenting figures of various sorts, uh, well, then it would not be that God would say to call him father. The problem the Bible tells us isn't that we see God too much like a father, as the world is trying to get us to move away from this idea of God as father. The problem isn't that we see God too much of a father. The problem is that we see him as too little of one. This is what uh, God says in Malachi chapter one, verse six. He says, if I, if then I am a father, where is my honor? The problem for the people of Israel isn't that they viewed God as father. The problem for the people of Israel is they called him father, but they didn't treat him like one. 
that they didn't view God fatherly enough. We, we've tried to expand our, our, our view of God in, in our understanding today, and in the end, we've lost the view that he's called us to have. Now, I don't find that shocking, and I don't want you to think that that's new. I, don't, I mean, it's obviously the case that in, in, in Malachi, they were already calling God Father, but not treating him like one. I don't, I don't think it's shocking that the spirit of this world wants to create a problem between fathers and children. It wants to create a world of distant fathers, of detached fathers, of, of children in multiple marriages that only get to see their father every now and again. The world wants to encourage more of that, not less. And I don't think it's shocking that the world wants to create a distrust and a dishonoring of fathers among children. I don't think it's crazy. Like this, this, the idea that, you know, the, the world's going to come after your, your children and get them to despise you as their parents. One, the world is going to do that. It, it does want to do that. They've made songs about wanting to do that. Uh, so the world is going to attempt that. But that's not new. That's what Satan has attempted always. Because God is father, Satan has always attacked the role of fathers and their relationship with their children. That's why one of, one of the works of the gospel, the preparation for the gospel. Let's go back to Malachi again. The preparation for the gospel is preparation for loving your father. So, so, and fathers loving their children. Malachi 4, 5 and 6, he says, Behold, I will send, Elijah, send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And what will he do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I mean, this verse is quoted about John. What's going on here? What is this a metaphor preparing us for? In turning the, the physical father's hearts toward their children, we've already talked about this, it is setting the way for what is happening in the gospel, where he is turning the hearts of his children to the father. That's what Christ is going to do. Christ is going to turn the hearts of the children to the Father. If in the gospel God becomes your Father, then Father needs to be a good thing in your mind. And one of the works of the gospel is to let us see that in our earthly fathers, we get a shadow of our heavenly Father. Now, fathers, that means that your role is very important. Your role is important for your kids' prayer lives. And I don't mean just important that you sit down and teach your kids to pray. You should do that. But your, your role is the way you handle your role as their father is going to affect how your children think about God when God tells them to call him father. Either you're going to make it easy for them to transition into understanding God as father as being someone who loves them and cares for them and protects them and guides them, has the best for them, or they're going to say father and have to have this, I'm way better than that guy sort of thing. And are they way better? Is God way better than you and always going to be way better than you? Yes, of course. But the way that you parent, the way that you father will either be teaching them and mirroring and shadowing the true father or it will be a stumbling block to the true father. So fathers, recognize the importance of your role. When your kids say, father, and they automatically think about the other person who bears that name, is that leading them closer to the Lord, or is it causing them to have to work through 
some things and God have to turn the hearts of the children back to their fathers because you've turned them away. So recognize the importance. It isn't, when we say father is an honored position, not a toxic one, we're just not trying to hoist you men up on pedestals here. What we're saying is you got a very important job that affects everything about your kids, even the simple way of how they begin their prayers. Because you're the one already coloring in their minds what a father is. Hopefully it'll be a shadow of Christ to cause them to be able to cry out father uh, the way that they're supposed to. So if, if, if God is father, then father's it's an honored position. Uh, if God is father, then understanding fathers will help us understand God. This transitions into that. If, if God is father, then when we read about fathers in scripture, when we understand the role that God has given fathers, that will help us understand God. Father is the lens that God chooses for us to understand our relationship with him. He wants us to understand him as father. So what is God to us? He is our father. So understanding what a father is, when he says, call me father, it's assuming that we know what father is, right? It's not, call me father. And now let me explain to you. A father is, so you've got you a man and a woman get married. You know, it's not, he knows. He's assuming that we've got baggage understanding what a father is. And so understanding what a father is and how a father is supposed to relate to his children will help us understand God and how he relates to us. So that when we say father in our prayers, we're thinking this is who he will be for me because he is my father. We actually have God using it. So what examples do we see of God comparing himself to father and, and how he treats his people? Well, one, God tells us that since he's our father, that means he will have compassion on us. So Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. When you say father, you're praying to someone who is compassionate towards you, who cares about your prayer. He's not just up there again. It's not just some old man in the sky who's like, okay, I've got to listen to him because he's my child. He has come and, you say, and you're going through and you're weeping and you're crying and you're going, does God even care? God has compassion for you. Just as a real father has compassion for his children. We, you know, when they come up and say, you know, can I have a piece of bread? He's not like, sure, take this stone. Can I have a fish? Yes, here's a serpent. So as fathers, we have compassion on our children. God said, I, I feel the same way toward you. God is compassionate toward us. It also means that God is protector. So God is compassionate toward you. He will protect you. Psalm 68.5 says that God is father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So, so God's in his holy habitation and you're praying to him. You're lifting your prayer up and you're saying, Father, what type of father is he? He is the father of the fatherless and protector of of widows both of those ideas are getting the idea that when you've got a child who doesn't have a father to protect him he's that protection you've got a widow who doesn't have a husband to protect her what is god he is that protection that's why i love psalm 37 uh, 34 7 what sort of protection is the lord providing i just like to throw this one out it's didn't i mention father it's just a really cool verse to think about uh where it says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Like that's the type of protection that the Lord gives to his people that he sent. So you see the angel of the Lord, he sends the angel of the Lord 
to encamp around those who fear him and to deliver them. That's the type of protection that God is giving you. God is merciful. Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, he is a merciful father. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. God is a merciful God. You may, again, you may think you go to God and you've messed up too much and you say father and you're afraid that it's going to be the time that the father decides to put you up for adoption. He's adopted you and now he's going to adopt you or something like that. That's not the case. God is, God is merciful. And that mercy often means that he corrects. So God is also a father who corrects his children because he loves them. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So again, we can go through every passage about who fathers are. And here we see God saying, this is who I am. I am like a father. What does that mean? It means, it means I'm going to be compassionate. It means I'm going to protect you. It means I'm going to be merciful. It does mean I'm going to correct you at times though as well. And again, if we, if we go through the New Testament, we look at the passages, we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. What do we see there? Fathers, do not provoke your children uh, in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what your father's doing. Your, your heavenly father is never going to provoke you to anger. He is going to bring you up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That's what he will do. The Lord is not going to provoke you. He's not going to discourage you. The Lord is not going to discourage you as his child. The Lord is never going to discourage you. Why? Because he tells fathers to never do that. And he is the ultimate father. He's not the ultimate father who gets to break some of the rules for fathers. The rules for fathers are based on him as father. He doesn't just go, I really like the idea of fathers. I want to be one of those. Fathers are created based on who he is, not the other way around. So when we read like 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17, for though you have had countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. We see that Paul says, Paul says he's like a father to them because he's lovingly guiding them into the truth. He said, these other guys, they want to point you. They don't love about you. You got plenty of guides, plenty of people. Look, you want to go out there and have someone pastor you? Plenty of options for a guy who's like, I'll do it, uh, especially if you pay me. Uh, there's plenty of guys out there who will be your guide. But Paul says, I'm going to be a loving guide to you. Why? Not just because that's a good thing, but he says, I'm going to be like a father. And what does a father do? A father lovingly guides his children. And so if a father lovingly guides his children, then what is our father doing to us? When we say father, we're going to the one who lovingly guides us into the truth, who cares about our spiritual growth, who isn't just growing us like some sort of uh, benign tree in his garden. He is lovingly growing and guiding us as a child because he is our father. Well, I'm really glad I split this sermon in half. Because there's no way we could have got this second half. So what can we do? We're going to see this for two weeks. The same idea. What do we do? If God is our father, how does that affect our prayers? This is going to be our application. If God is our father, how does that affect our prayers? Well, if you were to ask me, I'd say two things. It, it, it gives us confidence and reverence. This can be true this week. It's going to be true next week as well. 
confidence and reverence. In this case, confidence in that God has told you to address him. When you call God Father, you know, you don't have to worry about the Jews picking up stones to kill you, as we're going to see they, they tried to do with Jesus. Even though then two chapters later, they didn't have a problem saying they, God was their father. But God has told you to call him Father. He is, God, God is the one who gives the green light to our prayers and the green light to call him Father. We're not the ones who have decided to call God Father. This is not us just saying, hey, let's craft this image and let's make God our Father. That's not what happened. God is the one who comes to us and says, I am your Father. Call me Father. So every time we pray, I mean, this means that every time we pray, we're reminded of that relationship. That God isn't just some guy in the sky. He's not just some old man up there. He is your father. And that means every time you say father, you are reminded of the gospel. Every time you say father, you're reminded that you are what you once were not, a child of God. And he is your father. And that confidence, we are reminded that we have a new father and a new father who wants us to call on him. So when, when we see father, what should that one thing that should spur in us is great confidence. He is our father and he wants us to pray. So do it confidently. The other is it should give us reverence. The first words of our, of our prayers are about how great God is. The very first word of our prayer, Father, is to instantly place God above us and to remind us that, that we are not our own rulers, that we have a Father and He deserves to be honored. So before we ever ask, there is a humbling, there is a knocking out of the knees. God does not tell us to call Him buddy. God does not tell us to call Him friend, even though He is, right? Even though He is our friend. God tells us to call him father. And those are humble words. They're words of subservience, words of surrender. They are words that before any other words pass our lips, they are a reminder that there's one person in control of my life and it is not me. I am not father. I am not creator. You are. Let's pray. Just take a moment and think about your prayers. One, do you say Father when you pray? Um, do you ever say Father when you pray? You decided maybe you think you don't like the word Father. It has, gives you these weird feelings about God or whatever. Look, God's the one who tells you to call him Father. So just uh, in service, having that idea of God as Father is a good thing. But even more importantly, do you treat God as Father? Do you give him, like, like Malachi said, do you give him the, the honor and respect he deserves? It's easy for us to say father in our prayers, but, but do you, so when you think of God, do you control him or does he control you? I mean, who's, who's, lead, who's leading the home in your relationship with God? Who's serving the role of father? Who, when they speak, does the other obey? When God speaks and says, this is what I want of you, is that how you live? Or are you trying to usurp the position of father, only listening to the things you like? What if one of your children did that? Are you treating God like father? 
Who determines your view of God? If God is Father, then then He is who He is. He crafts us. We don't craft Him. Are you humble in your view of who God is? When you see who God is in in Scripture, do you say that is who you are? Or do you try and craft Him to be and think? And so He's probably really okay with all the things you deal with in your life, and but not okay with the things other people deal with. I mean, what what's going on in your life? Who's who's in control of who God is? Is God? the father of your life? And do you rejoice in the blessing of having a God who is father? Simple word, one word, but a, but a thick word to begin our Lord's prayer, father. Let's make sure that as a people this week, we spend time thinking about what it means that God is father and rejoicing that he is but also humbly making sure that we treat him like he is. Father, we can only address you because you have changed our relationship with you. Through Christ, as we'll see next week, you have become our father. And then you as father told us it was okay to talk to you and to address, because I could see even recognizing God is my father. Hopefully I would be so humble as to say, who am I? Even though he's my father, who am I to to speak to the God of this universe who's made everything and everyone who's allotted the the periods and and spaces for for everyone and all time. Who am I to speak to him? And yet, yet you, God, you father come and you tell us to ask of you to bring these requests to you you're the one who tells us that you are compassionate you protect us that you're merciful that you you care about us that you guide us lovingly into the truth father we thank you god that you have told us to pray because you are our father because you're really our father You have genuine care for us. It's not just a title that you take on. And so, Father, this week, may we just meditate on who you are. And may we rejoice that in Christ, we know you now as Father. That we too have been made sons. And so we thank you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done and for all that you are. It is in Christ's name that we pray and can pray this. Amen.